All right, so we have another wonderful day here up in the Pacific Northwest. Now, I'm super thankful for uh, Pastor Chris and for Cameron for covering the past two weeks. You guys enjoy Chris and Cameron the past couple weeks? Um, I really enjoy both those guys. I love those guys. Um, I have a lot of fun memories working with Cameron. And um, i got to clear something up about Cameron because he said some things last week. My team did win, so ha-ha. All right, take that. He, he gave me some football jabs. Go Niners. So we're doing good. But I love that they come, and whenever I ask Cameron if, if I'm gone for a Sunday, if he wants to come and share, he always says yes. He says yes, he loves coming here, and he always talks about how welcome he feels and how much he loves you guys. So thank you for welcoming him and Chris, and just uh, for just being you guys. I love this place, and I love what I get to be a part of here. But we were gone for the past two weeks, and we were in, we were, we got, we were blessed to be able to stay in Hawaii for, for nine days, and it was so fun. But I will admit, when we landed in Seattle, coming home, and it was foggy and rainy, we were actually happy. <laughs> we love our home. We love it up here. And for, for the two Sundays that I wasn't here, I watched church online, and I, I commented and uh, got to connect with a few people there. But I, I love this place, and I love being home. And I love the fall. Not, not a lot of people say, you know, I love the fall, but if you live in Washington, you better love the fall. That's what we learned really fast. But we loved it anyways before we came up here. We love, we love kind of the, the mistiness, and I love the rain, and I love the cold. Now, make no mistake, we do like the sun and the sunshine and going out to the beach and things, but, but I love this weather. For, for us at home, something about bundling up in a fireplace, uh, getting a blanket, drinking hot chocolate, that's my thing. I'm a big kid, I know. But I, I love just all the things that come with it. And when we turn on the fireplace, our dog doesn't complain either. She is just plopped down right there. We like the cold weather. Now, living in, in California for 36 years, we had very short seasons of cold, foggy weather. It would come, and like what, what you guys call the summer here, that was all the time. It was hot. So we didn't have the, the cold mugginess. So when it came, I loved it. But, but on special occasions, we would have some rain. And it was always fun to go outside and go jumping in the puddles in the mud. It was, and then the next day, it was all dried up and evaporated because California is always in a drought. But one sunny California day, I remember this so clearly. One sunny California day, we were actually on a beach, and I get this email. And this email says, church in, I couldn't pronounce it, looking for a pastor. I remember looking at this email, and I got these emails. The way our denomination works is if there's a, pa a pastor opening all the licensed pastors in the district will get the email. So I would get these emails frequently, and I never cared. But for some reason, this one, for a city I've never heard of, for a state two states away where no one I know lives up here, was looking for a pastor, and I was compelled to look at it. And I looked at it again and again. And then I looked into it, and we started looking more of like, all right, this could be a reality. What would it look like to move from California to Washington? We looked at what it would entail, and we realized if we did this, there was going to be a lot of changes. A whole lot. For one, we had family that lived 10 minutes from Disneyland. That was a frequent spot for us to go because family was there. It was cheaper for us to go there because none of the traveling or lodging expenses applied. We could just go and have fun, and that was a frequent thing for our family. Every year there was Disney. So we knew that that would shift. There would be no more of the sun-filled summers. And the hardest part for us, though, I'm shared that I'm number seven of 15 kids. All of my family is there. And I mean, from where we lived, 20 minutes, any direction, we can get to anyone in my family's house. And if we moved, we'd be moving away from our entire family. We knew moving would be hard. And to top it off, we were moving into Seahawks territory. 
That was just the icing on the cake for our family, right? We're moving into enemy territory. And I have, if you know Avery, she cheers hard for the Niners and she boos loud for the Seahawks. When we moved here, I had to try and tell her to tone that down just a little bit. I, I kid you not, our first weekend here, we were just exploring. We went to the mall. We walked by the Seahawks stuff. And she goes, Dad, boo! I was like, oh, no, stop, stop. This is, this is home. <laughs> she hasn't stopped. She still goes. But we knew the moving was going to be a big thing for us. It was all these changes. So we knew one thing for sure. If we were going to apply for this job, uproot our family, and move two states north, the phrase for us back then was we had to be all in. We had to go all in for it. This was not a, we're going to test it out, see if it works. We're, we're just going to, we're going to maybe try a new season of stuff. If it doesn't work, we can always shift. We knew this is a big decision. If we go, we're all in. We will hold absolutely nothing back. And that actually came up in the interview questions. When, we were getting, when I was getting interviewed by the board, um, some of them did ask, is this a stepping stone? What kind of move is this for you? Are you coming here knowing that aspirations because I was at Creekside, the church in California, my entire life? Is this an aspirational move where you're going to start here and then one day jump back down there? Or are you up here for good? And so we had to use the phrase, if we do this, we're going to we're burn the ships, cut, we're, cut the ropes. We are, we're going. Now, after we talked about this, we knew we were going all in. We sold our home. That was a big step for us. Once you sell in California, you're not going back. We sold our home in California. And of course, as we sell our home, guess what happens? I get two job opportunities in California where we wouldn't have to move. Two churches said, hey, we want you to be our pastor here. After I got the formal offer to come up here. This was after even I came up here and, and this church voted on me to come. I went home and there were two more jobs now. Hey, don't move, don't sell your house, stay here. This happened, but then we knew. We thought about it for all of like three seconds and said, we know where we're going. We are going because we are all in. It became our battle cry for our move. We, we knew every bit of everything we were doing was going to be for this church. It was going to be what God has put on our hearts to do. We weren't holding anything back. And I can honestly say from that moment till now, it has been a joy and we love it. We love what God is doing in us. We love what God is doing here. I love my new family up here, our friends up here. This has been so fun. But that phrase, all in, it's a big phrase. That's why we're spending so much on it for, the, for this, this series. What does it really mean? It means you're holding nothing back. You're giving it everything you've got. And I think when we talk about our walk with God, he deserves us to be all in. We really need to look at what it does mean when we go all in with him. It means we have our eyes set on a goal, an objective, an accomplishment. And we say we will do everything we can to reach that goal. Nothing will hold us back. And if something does stop me, it's not going to be for lack of my trying. I am going to give it all I've got. And today we're going to keep talking about how to be completely committed to the cause of Christ in a broken world. Because let's face it, the world is broken. There's so much broken. And, and the broken world is broken because it's full of broken people. We all are broken people. And, and I hope that as we've been diving into this and unpacking more of what it means to be all in, you've, you've been learning more about, we've talked about denying yourself and taking up your cross and what it really means to give God everything. And I hope you've enjoyed it so far. If you're joining us for the first time today, um, you've reached a great week because this is kind of one of the pinnacle points of what we're going to talk about today of being all in. And as you know, we've been, we've been looking at a key verse from Matthew where Jesus gives us a three-step command to knowing and following him. And uh, before I read it, I'm going to pray for us one more time because uh, we're going to dive in and there's a lot to cover today. And I promise to not to keep you past lunch. So here we go. 
God, thank you so much for today. I pray that as we, we continue our series on being all in, God, you, you really challenge us. You convict us if we need it, God, to, to give you everything that we have, to give you all that we are and not hold anything back, God, that we don't test the waters in our walk with you, that we say, God, you are worth everything I've had and nothing less, everything I am and nothing less. God, so I pray we're challenged, we're motivated, and we're, we're inspired by your words to give you everything. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So Matthew 16, 24 is what we've been talking about. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In the first couple of weeks, we've talked about those first two things. We talked about denying yourself and taking up your cross. And, and we talked about how once we've decided, we, we've taken time to deny ourselves, once we've been willing to take up our cross and bear with the things that come with this life and we carry it, Jesus then gives us the last part of this command. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Follow me. Today I have one goal in particular, and I really want to ask this question. What would happen in your life? What would change if you decided to do that? If you decided, I'm going to follow you, but I will be all in when I follow you. You say, God, I'm going to, from me at this point on, I will give you everything. I'm not just going to partially follow. I'm giving you all of me all the time. Now, I talk about sports a lot because sports resonated with me a lot growing up. But I, I follow two baseball teams, particularly during the baseball season. One of them being my absolute favorite team, the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, boo, they're horrible this year. I know. But we've got three championships the past decade. It's great. So it's fun. I love the Giants. I follow them, I follow players, um, I, I follow the stats, the wins, the losses, the trades. For those of you that don't know, I actually proposed to my wife at a Giants game, got it up on the scoreboard. It was so much fun. We, we both love going to baseball games. Now, I also love it when rivalry games come, when they're playing like the Dodgers. That's the big baseball rivalry. I get into it. We have fun. I hate the Dodgers. But I love baseball. The other team I follow, this is a new one for me, though, is I follow the Mariners now. Believe it or not, there's a Seattle team I root for, right? Hey, the Mariners. Now, given they don't play the Giants hardly ever, they're in the other division, the only time they'd ever really mess with each other is if they meet in the World Series, and then it would be go Giants. But there's a Seattle team I root for. I have a lot of fun. I, you know, I don't know them nearly as well as I know the Giants, but I do know that this year they were both eliminated from playoff contention like one day apart from each other. It was a sad moment in our household, mainly just for me because I'm the baseball guy. But... I know players on the teams, but when I say I know players on the teams, I mean that loosely. I can, we say that, right? I know those players, but I don't know those players. I don't have their cell phone numbers. That'd be really cool, though. I don't. And they certainly don't know me. They don't know who I am. I don't know them, but I know lots of information about them. Now, a similar thing can take place in our relationship with Jesus if we allow it to go that avenue. We can say, I know Jesus, or we can say, I know Jesus. I think there's a difference. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Does he know everything about, are you opening yourself up? Do you know who he is and what he wants for you? Or would you say, yeah, I know Jesus. He's in the Bible. I read about him. I know what he's done. There's a difference when the way, the way we use the word know. And I think our, our walk with Jesus is really called a relationship for a reason. We are meant to be as close to him as possible. We weren't meant just to know Jesus. We were meant to know Jesus to really know who he is, to know what he's done, to know what he wants for us. And there's a way that we can do this, a way that we can grow in this, like we grow in our relationship, right? If you look at your best friend in life, you probably don't say, yeah, I know that person, your best friend, you probably know them. There are people you could say, I know everything about this person. And if you were to go back to back and say, name this person's favorite, whatever, you could answer those questions. 
I think our walk with Jesus, we need to have a relationship that is as close as possible to anything else, where we could say, I know this person and he knows me. We do this by spending time with him, by following his direction in the world. We do this a lot by emulating our life and our attitudes, right? Saying, we need to talk this way. We need to learn how to walk this way. We need to learn how to act this way towards other people. We need to emulate our life to be more like his. If we want to be an example and reflection of Jesus, then we better start acting like an example and reflection of Jesus. And if you want to be the best God has called you to be, you don't just say, well, I'll take a couple things to try and be like him. You say, no, I'm going to take as many things as I can to be like him. I'm going to do everything I can to emulate this life. I'm, let, let me get as much as I can. Let me start putting this in my system so I can go all in in my walk with Jesus. Give my whole life to him, not just the bits and pieces I don't care about. And then something changes. So what happens when we decide to follow him completely? I think it's worth noting when we go all in on something or, or take after someone or something, it could be a parent that you choose, um, a sibling, an athlete, a musician, anyone that is uh, throughout your life that, that has had impact on you or that you admire. That, that's who you want to emulate, right? You start acting more like that person. And this is how we start identifying our identities as, as young people even, and not even just as young people, throughout our life. We find someone that we aspire to be more like and we start adapting things in our life that they do. Um, something I love to do is I love to lead readership, readership. I love to read leadership books. I, lo I love to read like, hey, what are, what are these pastors doing? And not even just pastors, even secular leaders, if they're thriving in their, their industry, what are they doing that's causing them to thrive? And I want to start adopting those things, adapting them into my life so I can start growing and changing who I am. But this is how we identify our identity. And truth is, when we trade our old life for a new life with Christ, he gives us a new identity on the spot. He gives you a new identity. He will always give you that new identity. And as you think about this truth, think about where do you identify yourself now? Say, who, who are you now? Who do you look up to? Who do you seek to emulate in your life? Now, I shared before I liked baseball, and I played a lot of baseball growing up. I am a Giants fan, but believe it or not, my favorite player growing up was not a Giants player. My favorite player growing up was for the Oakland A's for the majority of his career. Then he went to the Cardinals. Mark McGuire. I loved watching Mark McGuire. Some of you groaned because you know what happened in his life. <laughs> Cheater. But I loved watching Mark McGuire. The, the guy was first base. I played a catcher in first base. So he was strictly first, but I watched him play. I would study how he played the first base line. What was he doing to get runners out? How was he holding runners on the base? And the guy was just a massive home run hitter. He would hit the ball. Every time he came up to bat, you had the, the wonder, is he going to hit another one? Is he going to hit another one? And so I watched his swing. I studied his swing. I started emulating his swing. And sure enough, when I played, I was pretty stinking good. I, um, I, hit, a lot, I hit lots of deep balls. I, hit I was a power hitter on my team. I got the privilege of being the cleanup batter on my team because I had the power bat. And I watched McGuire play all the time. I went to more A's games than Giants games, one, because A's were really cheap to go to but also because I wanted to see him play. And I, I, for, for me, it's almost like the whole stadium went quiet, even though it didn't when he was up, because I was so zoned in on what is he going to do. I wanted to emulate him in my baseball field. Later in life, I found out he was juicing, and that was something I did not copy, did not emulate, never went down that road. But I still wanted to emulate his style of play and his technique because they were so good. I wanted my game to match his game. I wanted to have his identity or share with his identity and what he was doing. Also, side note, I got to meet him, asked him for his autograph, and he said no. My fandom ended at that moment. Broke my little fifth grade heart. But 
Our identity can often be found in things of the world. We can look at something or someone of the world and say, I want to be that, I want to be that person. And we can invest tons of resources, time, and info. And sometimes those aren't bad things, but they can become bad things when our identity rests in a worldly thing and not the things of God. There's a story in scripture of Jesus giving someone a new identity. Now this happens, this very thing happens whenever anyone today decides to follow Jesus personally, right? The Holy Spirit comes within you and it starts to reshape your priorities in life and it makes everything better. I strongly believe that. It may not feel better all the time, but your life is always better with God more so than without him. The Holy Spirit comes and reshapes. And in the gospel accounts, we read Jesus calling an initial 12 people to follow him. And here's a brief interaction of one that includes Jesus and Peter. And a lot of us are familiar with Peter. But Matthew 4, 18 to 20 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, that's just a couple verses, and there there is so much in, in those verses that we could spend a lot of time on. But what I want us to see today in particular are two phrases, two key phrases. The first telling us what what they did for a living. And you can see here, what did they do for a living? They fished for a living. Doesn't hide it. They they were fishermen. Fishing, you know, it was you were up early out on the water. You got to sleep during the day fishing. I mean, it was it was not the best hours, but it was it was work. They fished for a living. And this is where Jesus found them. He found them in the midst of their trade, doing what they had trained themselves, what they had raised to do, how they provided for their families. It was the thing that brought them their income. This was their life. It would have been really easy for Jesus to look at him, I think, and say, hey, I'm going to offer you something better. I'm going to offer you something different than your desire to fish. He could have dismissed this ability and said, I'm going to give you some new profession, guys. Follow me. You don't want to fish anymore. Follow me instead. But instead, Jesus says something profound here. He says, come follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. It's really cool the way he does that with these people. You see, if you, if you read the book of Acts, you find some incredible things that Peter eventually does for the kingdom of heaven here on earth. He's just a powerhouse for the gospel. He preaches and people get saved. He preaches and people get healed. Peter is the man, right? This is the same man that one day Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you. He does so much through Peter. And because of that, we see, we see a shift in Peter's life. And that same shift we see in Peter's life, I strongly believe when we go all in and say, I'm going to leave something behind to follow you, Jesus, we can experience that shift as well. We can, we can all see the shift of how God is going to use you. You see, when Jesus finds Peter, he's this. He's Peter, the fisherman who decided to follow Jesus. But when Peter nears his death on earth, here's what it changes. It is Peter, the follower of Jesus, who also fishes. And, and, and church, hear me. What, what, what I see here is not Jesus saying, I'm going to tell you your passion is wrong and get rid of it. What I hear Jesus saying is, I'm going to use your passion for something different. I'm going to take what you're already good at. I'm going to take something that you have built your life around. Maybe I'm going to shift your priorities now, so that's not the focal point, but you're going to use that for the kingdom. And that's what he does with Peter. He doesn't say you'll never fish again. He says, I'm going to use what you're good at, and we're going to use it for the kingdom of heaven. That's a great shift there. So so Jesus doesn't want to remove your passion. He wants to replace it with something different. What if Jesus wants you to use what you already do, what you're already good at for a higher purpose to change the world? Think of that. What are you good at? What are you doing? What can Jesus look at you and say, you're good at this, now let's use it this way and watch how even greater it can be. 
That's how Jesus shifts things. With, with this new identity, though, never forget, sometimes we do fall short. We're, we're, we do mess up, right? We give in to the flesh. But I think there's this popular misconception that when Jesus died on the cross, some people will say, he took away the presence of sin in the world. He didn't take away the presence of sin. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the penalty with his own life to save our own lives. This means that whoever comes to follow him, man, you don't have to spend eternity, which is a really, really long time, apart from Jesus. You get to spend eternity with Jesus, with him in heaven, well, having your life changed and modeled into the image of Christ while you're here on earth before we get to that step of eternity. And I think that's great. Jesus wants to use us to the best of our ability, the things he's already made us naturally good at. I mean, a lot of you guys here, everyone here can say something they're naturally good at. I truly believe that. Everyone has something they're good at. When I see someone who says, oh, I just wanted to doodle this picture real quick, and they drew this magnificent art piece, I get not jealous, but I'm just like, man, I, don't ha I have no artistic skill. I make stick figures look bad. I can't draw. But I love that my oldest, Aurora, she can draw. She loves to draw, and she's so good at what she does. Imagine taking what you're naturally good at, what you're passionate about, and saying, now I get to use that for the kingdom because I'm going to go all in with what he's given me for his works. Sometimes we mess up here on earth. Believe it or not, this is the story of Peter as well. The man messed up many times. But the good news is Jesus makes, wrongs our, he, Jesus makes our wrongs right. Jesus makes our wrongs right. He will flip things around. He'll make it okay because of his grace, his forgiveness. Whenever we mess up, he can say, hey, yes, that was wrong. Let me make it right. Let me make you right. As a matter of fact, he already made it right. He already died. John 13, 37 says this. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But this claim from Peter is followed with a prophetic word from Jesus. Jesus answered in uh, verse 38, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Can you imagine the deflating Peter must have had right there? You know, Jesus in the middle of this, he's telling everyone, someone's going to betray me. The time is coming. Peter stands up. I would lay down my life for you, Jesus. I would never, I'm, I'm following you always. He just goes, actually, Peter, you're going to say you don't know me three times before the day comes. Imagine Peter going, wow, way to just deflate my sails, Jesus, jeez, right? Imagine Peter being confident, and he probably doesn't even believe Jesus' words. You can also imagine him thinking, Jesus, you're wrong, and it's never good to say Jesus is wrong, right? But I can imagine Peter saying, no, Jesus, this is not going to happen. I will never do this. But soon enough, those words came to be. Peter denied Jesus three times. This is because of what was happening to Jesus. Peter was afraid. Peter was afraid that they were torturing him, they were beating him. They, he knew at this point what Jesus was talking about, getting turned over and, and executed. This was coming to fruition, and Peter was terrified that in that moment, if he said, yes, I do know that person, yes, I am the one you're thinking of, that he would be right there next to Jesus, and he was terrified. And he said, no, I don't know that man. Praise God today for the moments that, that when we fall short like Peter, that's not the full story. That's not the end of the story, and that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't have to be the way anyone's story ends. And for Peter, it doesn't. In John 21, 15 to 17, Jesus had been raised from the dead. He is now visiting people again, and it says this. This is a beautiful story. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And those three times, Jesus makes the wrong right by asking Peter, do you love me? Each time, does, does not, Peter doesn't just answer the question and say, yes, you know, I love you. But, but Jesus gives Peter a calling after calling after calling every single time. He says, then go do this. And Peter got to do that calling every day for the rest of his life. He got to live out what Jesus had rededicated his life to do. When, when Jesus found me personally, I know I was not doing what Jesus wanted me to do. I was not living my life to the best of my ability for him. Now, I've shared my testimony before. I was not a party animal. I was not out doing the, the crazy rock and roll and drugs and all things come with that. That was not my lifestyle, but I know I was not pursuing. I was pursuing my passions for me and my passions for my life. I was not pursuing what Jesus wanted me to do. And when he found me, he had to do this, this reshifting in my life. He took some tools that I already had in my, in my tool chest. He, he knew that at that point in my life, I was still really good with kids. And I volunteered at church working with kids. And God took that and said, hey, we're going to reshape your passion for kids. Instead of just having fun at school programs, having fun volunteering and tutoring, you are now going to be a children's pastor in your life. He took a passion I had and retooled it to shape things for his kingdom. When I rededicated my life to him alone, everything changed. And that's because God's love is bigger than his anger. I truly believe this. Hear, hear this. God has more love than he does anger. God has more love than he does anger. The God of the universe is not in heaven looking at people going, I wish you would go all in for me and I'm really ticked right now. I've got a lightning bolt ready just, just any second now. If you don't change, I'm going to get you. God doesn't look at us that way. He, he's not up in heaven with this angry man looking down, looking for moments to spite us or give us consequences or punishments for not following him. Instead, I, I, I like to think of Jesus as this like Christmas morning, like your kids run down and they cannot wait to see what's in those presents. I think of Jesus looking at us like that. I cannot wait till you give your life to me. I cannot wait until you decide you are all in because I have got such a good thing for you. He wants us so bad. He loves us. And when we turn and face him and realize that at some point he has made us whole again, he's redeemed us from sin and death, everything changes. Everything changes and we see we are embraced and loved by this God who is already all in for all of us. And when we understand this, we see that he makes us whole. When we go all in and we follow Jesus, we see he makes us whole. I, you know how often I've asked myself this question? I, I, I do often. I'll, I'll say, where would I be right now without Jesus? And I can't come up with honestly anything good. And, and frankly, I don't really want to know the answer to that question because I can't imagine my life without him. I can't imagine my life not doing what he's called me to do because it's, it's not always easy, but it's the best. It is the absolute best. I don't want to know what my life would be like without him. I don't want to think about it because I am in on what he wants me to do. But I know that there was a point in my life when I had to come to that realization that I was chasing other things and I was not chasing him. Students, if there was any advice I could give you, I would say, man, I wish at your guys' age I was as all in now as I was then. Or I was all in then as I was now, sorry. I wish I was all in then because, man, things would have been so different in the most amazing way. If I didn't wait till high school to say, I am really going to be all in. Man, if I did it younger, wow, what more could have happened? What more could Jesus do? I love that he has so much for us, and I love that he has so much for you guys. 
You may have heard this phrase, that there is a God-shaped hole in people's hearts. And so many times we, we try to fill that thing with so many things of the world, different identities, different, different things where people will follow. But the truth is only God can fill that hole. Nothing in the material world will, will satisfy your craving to be with Jesus in eternity. And that's why following Jesus is the only thing that really can make you whole. Paul says this about the matter in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God desires to sanctify. God desires to make us holy in every possible way. And that means in practical terms, when we decide to follow Jesus, God will seep into every area of your life to make you whole. God leaves nothing out. He is an all-in God. If you get anything from Scripture, when God does something, he does it big. He goes all-in all the time. When he frees people, when he heals people, when he redeems people, he lets people know, I am all-in on you. And when we give our lives to him, he says, I'm going to encompass everything in your life now. I'm going to fill everything that you can't fill by the world. Let me in and let me, let, let, I want you to see what I have for you. And he does it to the fullest every single time. And I truly believe it's only then when we let God all in on us, when we say, God, I'm going to give you everything, that we then get to experience everything he has for us. If we're holding things back, we won't ever experience it all. But God will go to every dark area for the sake of healing. Not to humiliate, but he'll expose things so he can heal it. He'll expose things so he can redeem and restore. And so he can say, hey, this is your past that you may be ashamed of, but this is your past that's going to be your rally call for what you're going to do now. He used Paul as a great example of that. Paul had a, such a horrible past, but he said, hey, Paul, because of what you've done, it's going to make what you do now even greater because I'm involved in what you're doing now. Give God everything. He wants all of you, not just some of you. And when you decide to follow him, it's worth every bit, every step. Hold nothing back. Not just the comfortable pieces. Give him the uncomfortable pieces. Have those uncomfortable conversations with God. Even if you feel like you're going to sound weird having a conversation in your room by yourself with God, do it. Really open up and say, what can I do? How can I offer myself to you? And this is why I call it going all in. Because if you leave a part, if you leave part of it out, you're not all in, you're divided. I don't want to be divided. I don't want us to be divided. I want us as a church, as people, I want everyone in here to say, none of me is being held back from Jesus. I'm in all the way. We've got to completely surrender and completely give our lives to him, to follow him no matter what, through every trial, through every circumstance, to give it all. And when we identify with Christ and recognize that we have been truly forgiven, we understand that he's all in for us and what he's done for us, then I think we're, even, we're able to give ourselves even more fully to him. Because when you see the love, when you, when you feel and understand what he's done for you, I think the natural response is to say, why wouldn't I want all of that? Why wouldn't I? I mean, Jesus didn't say, I, I died for some of you. I died for all of you. I died for the good, the bad, everything. I died for you. I want all of you. Don't hold part of yourself back. I gave all of myself for you. And over time, when you give yourself to God, it may be hard. You may have to learn how to trust. I did the trust fall a number of weeks ago with Theoden. I was tempted to drop him. Would have, would have destroyed the point, so I didn't. But when you learn to trust God, it's hard at first. Absolutely, it's hard. Giving your trust completely over to something when we're such a control-oriented people, it's not easy. But the more you trust, the easier it gets. The more you grow, the easier it gets. Eventually, you see his faithfulness in all areas of your life, and it inspires you to follow him even more. 
It's worth nothing less than our whole heart. And if you've never committed your life to Christ before, if you're here today and you say, yes, I've gone to church before. Maybe you've gone to church for years, but you've never said, you've never said, I want to give my life to Christ. I'm giving it to him all in today. I want to give you that opportunity today. You have the opportunity. We're going to receive communion as a church. I'd like to invite the worship team up. We're going to receive communion. And I'll give an opportunity before we do this. If you want to say, you know what, God, I... I'm ready to go all in. I know you've gone all in for me. Come into my life. I'm ready to give myself to you. I'm just going to have you repeat a prayer. We're all going to do this together, but I just want to, I'd feel weird if I didn't give this opportunity today, especially with today, if us talking about giving our lives to Christ. If you're online today, if you've never done this before, there's a button that says, I want prayer. You can just comment on there. There's people online waiting to talk with you and pray with you about giving your life to Christ, what this means, what this looks like. But man, I... I think that this is the, I know this is the best decision you could possibly ever make is giving your life to the person who already gave his for you. Would you, um, if you grab a communion cup, would you grab a cup and stand with me? Will you toss me one of those? Thank you. Something Jesus did before he died is he had, uh, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples and he took two very common elements. He took bread and wine. We have bread and juice. But he took these, and as he took them, he took ordinary things and made them extraordinary things because of what was about to happen to him and what he wanted his disciples to remember. And something that we continue doing today because we remember what he did for us. Now, before we do this, I would love us all to, to bow our heads and close our eyes, and I just want to pray for anyone here. And if you're praying this for the first time, you can, you can say it out loud. You don't have to say it out loud, but I'd love for you to talk to me or someone afterwards so I can celebrate with you. But I just want to offer up this prayer for anyone who wants to receive Jesus if you've never done it before. God, I know that we are a broken people. God, I know that I'm a broken person. God, I know that, that I can't do this on my own, that I sin and I fall short. God, but I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life free from sin. God, I believe that he died for me, taking my sin, taking my punishment on that cross. I believe he died. God, and I believe he rose again, defeating sin, conquering death, showing me a way to eternity with the Father. God, and for the rest of my life, I choose to follow you. I choose to let Jesus come into my heart. I choose to, be, to let him be the one who guides my decisions, to guide my path, and I will follow him for the rest of my life. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that today for the first time seriously and you meant it, welcome to the family. Call me. Let's go get lunch. Let's talk about it. I want to celebrate with you. If you're online, shoot me an email, Dustin at ccpualup.com. I want to celebrate with you. Let me know. For those of us as well, we're going to remember the sacrifice he did together. So if you peel off, peel off the top layer and take the bread. Jesus passed out bread to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So what I want us to do is just take a minute in silence, and I would love for you guys all just to have your own moment with God, thanking him for the, the sacrifice he paid with his body, which was broken for us, so we don't have to go through the wages of sin. So let's take a minute and pray and thank Jesus for his body. God, I thank you for your sacrifice. God, that you, you willingly put your, your body through the torture it endured for us. God, that it succumbed to the cross 
to pay the penalty for our sins. God, I thank you that, that you love us so much that you willingly went through it for the joy of the cross. And I pray that as we eat this, we never take in vain and we never take lighthearted the sacrifice you made for us. We're so thankful for the love that you show. Amen. Go ahead and eat the, the bread. As you open the juice, Jesus took the, the wine. He said, this is my blood which was shed for you. Everyone knows that blood is important. Without it, you can't live. It does so much for carrying oxygen and making our organs work. And Jesus shed every drop for us. When, as, we, as we take this together, never forget the sacrifice that his blood, only his blood shed, could not just cover sin, but wash away sin, wipe it away as if it never happened. The blood of Jesus was perfect and pure. And as we drink this today, remember that he shed every drop of his for us so that we could be in eternity with him. So I'm gonna give you again a moment just to, to have a moment with God and talk about being, being thankful for his blood. God, I thank you for your perfect sacrifice. God, for, for the shedding of your blood to do something only your blood could do, God, wash away our sins now, then, forever. God, the perfect sacrifice. I pray that as we, as we drink this, we never take for granted what you did for us and that when we take this, we're declaring we know that you will return for us again. We thank you, God, and we love you. Amen. Go ahead and drink the juice. As we leave here today and as the worship team sings us out, if you haven't done it yet, make that decision to go all in. If you've already given your life to Christ and this was not a, a new decision you've made, maybe make today the point where you say, today is the day where I decide I will never hold anything back. I'm going all in because he deserves every bit of it. Amen? Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you went all in for us. And I thank you, God, that we get to go all in for you. I pray for everybody here. God, that if there's anything holding us back, we, God, we, we push it aside. If there's anything that says, any doubts, any voices, any obstacles that would say, hey, you can't go in because you have to do this or you have to do that, we, we get rid of it, God, because we know we can give you everything all the time. God, I pray that, that we do that, we do it joyfully, and God, we, we thrive in the life that you have for each and every one of us because you gave it all for us. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.